Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name's Harold Nickel. This week on the podcast, we will talk about the return on investment organizations can expect from implementing agile practices. From a business point of view, this, at least to me, is among the most persuasive aspects of adopting any business practice. And that is to say, does it pay to go to all the trouble of changing what we do now and learn a new way of doing things? So, Ren, in a word, is adopting Agile a good, profitable idea? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so in good. So, in your in a word, yes. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, in a word. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, and I'm not, you know, terribly good at mathematics, but I appreciate people who are. How big is the potential ROI for companies that adopt Agile, just on average, what can they expect? All right. There's what people in the industry say, and then there's the truth. <laughs> so <laughs> if people in the industry make all kinds of promises between mm-hmm. ROI boost, between 15%, 20%. I've even seen online um, consulting firms have promised a 50% improvement in wow. ROI. The truth is not all industries are equal and what degree of a bump you get has a lot to do with your industry margin. So we have talked about that before. Remember Mm -hmm. that part of having um, a balanced investment approach is that um, not all industries are the same. And so financial services for interest, for example, mm-hmm. you can often expect a 20-something to 30-something margin, which means if you're mediocre, you're probably going to make 20%. That's pretty good. All the time, right? Yeah. And if you're really good at what you do, you're probably going to make in the 30s. Okay. Right now. And, and that changes over time because when I entered financial services, it was 10, you know, the median margin at the time was like 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, when I uh, was working for a financial services firm, we were at 23% mm-hmm. year over year. We had one year under 28. Wow. Um, most recently, um, a bank I've consulted with, we got up to 38%. It, it changes, right? And then when I think of the work I've done with travel, Mm-hmm. We get excited when our margin was three percent, because the median is one. So <laughs> you <Wow>. know, <laughs> so when when someone promises you these huge increases in your ROI, it, I kind of go, "Well, really? Can you yeah. prove it? Where's the math?" Yeah, and math is compelling if, if it's not anything. And I guess too, there's a couple of ways to measure the return on investment, and one mm-hmm. is cost reduction. How does Agile help reduce expenses? So this is where we can help you with your ROI calculation. I'm like, and I'm glad you started with expenses, and then we'll get into, we'll talk about revenue, but okay. those are the two components. So what you do is you go, we know, this has been scientifically proven, mm-hmm. that with Agile, if you do it well, if you really do it, if you're not doing scrum or fall, mm-hmm. but you're really doing agile, you're going to see anywhere between a 30 to 60% improvement in quality. Okay. So if you know your company, what you do, you already know what the cost of poor quality is. Mm-hmm. 
you can easily calculate then what your reduction in the cost of poor quality is, Mm -hmm. which will give you a really easy, quick estimate on what your reduction in your expenses Okay. Will be make sense? Absolutely, yes. So if if your cost of poor quality is a hundred dollars, okay, per shippable unit, which could be like you know two thousand units, mm-hmm. and you reduce your cost of poor quality by, let's take the lowest number, thirty percent. Your post cost of poor quality just went down to seventy dollars. Oh boy, that's right? A, that's a nice return. That's a really nice return. (laughs) So you calculate that for your entire manufacturing company. Holy crap, that's a huge reduction in your expenses. Boy, I'll say. That that really is, absolutely. And speaking of returns, another of the measures on ROI is greater returns. And again, typically, how much more will organization profits grow? when they're using Agile. So again, we, we you look at your own business and you look at the Agile science. The Agile science, and this is more done towards a safe model than right. Scrum. Mm-hmm. Um, safe is, it has a lot more science behind it, and what we see is an improvement of 25 to 45% in revenue-impacting metrics like time to market. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, your CFO right now just got really excited. Why? Because the faster you get something in the market, the faster you start collecting revenue on it. And every accountant wants all their money today and pay all their bills later. Right? Oh, you yeah. want to hold. You want to hoard cash. That's one of the things anybody you see with a CMA or a CPA behind their name, mm-hmm. they love to hoard cash. Just know it. Okay, (laughs) that's what we do. We want all of our revenue now, and we'll pay our expenses later. And so they look at time to market, and they go, oh, my God. So you look at cost of delay. Every company um, knows either directly or indirectly what the cost of delay is, Mm -hmm. right? Some companies are very good at putting hard financial metrics about it, but everybody at least has a directional metric of what the cost of delay is. So you go, okay, here's our cost of delay. So let's use our earlier model. Our cost of delay is $100 per shippable unit. If we go to um, full-on Agile and we do it right, Mm -hmm. we can expect a time-to-market improvement between 35 and 45%. Okay. Okay? So... Um, say we we do the lower. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made thirty five dollars more because I improved my time to market. My revenue just went up thirty five percent. Wow! So to take your hundred dollar example, would we make one hundred and thirty five dollars instead? Yeah. Wow. That's because very I'm cool. getting that money sooner, and I'm and sooner is always better. You want, always want your revenue now, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's what I do is I work with companies to figure out what their top and bottom number is and their ROI mm-hmm. and calculation, and that helps us figure out what their ROI should be um, for an agile 
transformation and what that will look like. What are we looking at from a top line uh, and bottom line perspective? What are our improvements? How will our expenses go down? Mm-hmm. How will our revenue go up? What does that mean in the end for us? And that, by the way, is how some of these consulting firms get these big numbers. They start with zero. They start with one and one. Mm-hmm. They reduce your expenses by 30%. They increase your revenue by 35%. And they say, okay, here's your new ROI. Not exactly how it works in the real world. No. <laughs> no. But if you're wondering how they get those huge numbers, that's how they're getting those huge numbers. Well, and even somebody like me who isn't particularly good at math can kind of see through that. But Right. And go, hmm. Yeah. Now, there's another aspect to this. Um, time. Time's a resource that also needs to be measured when considering a move to Agile. So, again, on average, how long does the trans- transition take? Um, it depends on two big things. Okay. The level of um, physical investment mm-hmm. by an organization. So how many people, how many resources am I willing to change our physical or real estate configuration so people can work together? Am I willing to invest in infrastructure so we can have things like continuous integration, um, automated testing, um, you know, collaboration, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then cultural or emotional investment, which is am I as the leader willing to make changes in my own behavior? And request and and lead changes for other people in how they're thinking about the work, etc. The second part's the hardest. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right, and kind of leads into the. And you, do you want to know what the differential is? Yes. So for companies that make that full on investment, I mean it. We're gonna do that. Yeah. So I'm going to take two companies that I worked with. Both were about 100 people. Mm-hmm. One said, full on, we're going to do this, damn it, Rin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to go agile. And we mean it. And we're going to commit to changing our leadership behaviors and our metrics and, and whatever we need to do to make this successful. Three months. Right. A company that said, we're going to give you the physical resources you need we're not so sure about the emotional and cultural. Three and a half years, and they're still working on it. They're oh, man. still not there. That's a huge difference. Um, not all investments in money. Sometimes the most important investments that you make inside your company are not money. Yeah, and it's uh, such a stark comparison between three months and three years, and really leads me into another question. If you were cynical, and I admit I tend to be, (laughs) from a more cynical point of view, people say that there are lies, damned lies, and statistics. So if you were pitching Agile to an organization, how would you overcome an objection like that one? Um, I frequently run into that one. And what I do is I say, okay, give me a really low investment. Right. Give me one scrum team. Right. In a couple of months. And let's see what we can do in your organization. Because the equivalent to that, by the way, the other side of that same argument is, 
yeah, I know that works in other organizations, but it could never work here. Yep. In that same experiment, and when we first started doing these together, I was actually working with a client member and mm-hmm. doing that experiment. Give me one team. Yeah, yeah. They have rolled out, and I worked with them to roll out multiple agile release chains since then because it did work. And they cool. saw it in their own organizations, you know, for themselves. They witnessed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so trust but verify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the trust is okay, Ren, we'll give you one team. The verify is they watched and monitored the results. They were also the ones who said, these are the things we really want to see. Yeah. And then they went, oh, this does work. We were wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's do more. <laughs> well, and that's, um, though not a bad way to go and um, way better than than some others that we'll talk about here as we go along. Let's talk about employees and employee engagement because after all, the employees are the key that if an investment in Agile is going to pay off or not, they're the ones that have to actually, you know, do the work. So is there a way to quantify increased employee engagement or employee happiness when using Agile? Absolutely. And there are some phenomenal organizations who are really good at um, helping organizations do that. If anyone's interested, you can send me an email and I can refer you. But um, because the one I like the best for some reason, I can't think of their name off the top of my head. So, you know, email me and I'll send it to you. But I know, right? It, but there, and it's and this is actually it's very scientific. How do we know it's scientific? Because it's the uh, process and the results are defined and repeatable. Mm-hmm. Same thing like with agile. We know if you do behavior A, you will get defined outcome B. Right. Um, we see the same thing in these employee engagement um, assessments and surveys and activities, and how you can improve employee engagement. Um, cohesion, which means they want to stay working mm. with you. Right. Because uh, remember, it's cheaper to keep someone than it is to replace someone. Replacing Absolutely. someone usually costs that person's fully loaded annual salary. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on fully loaded because it's yeah. all their the employer share of Social Security, Medicare, taxes, real estate, equipment, everything fully loaded salary very expensive to replace people. Right. So it's cheaper to invest in employee engagement things. Also, by the way, employee engagement increases employee loyalty and a sense of ownership. You're less likely to have systemic failure in your organization the higher your employee engagement, which means your quality will just naturally go up and improve just by improving employee engagement. When quality increases, what also happens? Costs go down, Mm -hmm. right? And so your profitability goes up. (laughs) It's a fairly low-cost investment to get a nice little bump in your return. Yeah, and, you know, so often I at least read about, you know, spiraling downward. This sounds like it's the opposite, that you really you are spiraling upward, with, um, it's a great way to kill a company, and especially if your company has systemic failures, right? If you don't have employee engagement, and the one that comes front to mind, so classic, is Enron. 
Oh, yeah. One of the failures at Enron is their employee engagement was continually going down over the 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, what ha- and so the infrastructure wasn't there to support these very bad behaviors that they were engaged in. Um, yeah. It, which just actually made them more desperate. And so they did more bad things. And, <laughs> it, 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 you know, and so it accelerated the lack of, and there's a lot of, there's um, several studies that have been done on this to show at Accenture and a couple other companies, or not Accenture, Arthur Anderson mm-hmm. and a couple other companies, um, how deteriorating employee engagement actually accelerated the company's demise. Wow. Yeah, so they were dying anyways. They just got there a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll just we'll kill you quicker. So yeah, um, yeah. It's like ooh, ouch. Yeah, and for me, employee communications is something that's kind of near and dear. And I've seen and learned that you know employees are cynical and tend to be fearful of any kind of change. And you know, frankly, not without good reason. So a lot of times when they're told or when they hear greater efficiency, they translate that into layoffs. And so how do you deal with them and overcome those kinds of attitudes? And how do things like employee cynicism and resistance to change impact the ROI with Agile? Well, part of this cynicism, and believe me, we've all been there, right? Right. Um that people feel is legitimate, especially when that is the whole point of efficiencies. And that's mm-hmm. why you don't hear me talk about efficiency. I talk about effectiveness because efficiency mm-hmm. is actually focused just on efficiency. Mm-hmm. And we have some really great examples in the United States and in, in uh, Japan mm-hmm. about how an obsession with efficiency actually also accelerate your company's demise. It's a great way to kill a company. Um, And there was an article a while ago about, uh, was it, um, oh, shoot, the name went right out of my head, but it was along the lines of, um, uh, you know, your own, you know, engineering your own efficient demise. Um, Because efficiency is just, it's very mechanical. Okay. Um, Our customers, are not mechanic are not mechanical. They're not objects, right? They're human beings. And customers require engagement. Why do people pay more for a substandard phone? Because they love Apple. Oh well. They sure. love iPhone. Right. Everybody knows if you're objective about it, the new features that they just announced, or not just, but recently this year announced for the um, success, right. Samsung had a year and a half, two years ago, depending on which feature we're talking about. Mm-hmm. iPhones are way more expensive than Samsung phones. 
So it's that's the emotional. Because it's not connection. about efficiency; it's about effectiveness. Are you making that emotional connection exactly? And on your employees, if you're an executive, your employee engagement needs to be thinking the same way. If your employees are more effective, you're going to get a better quality product. You're going to get a smarter product. You're going to get a better customer connection. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing is a customer connection. Are your people passionate about what your product is? When they talk about it, first of all, do they ever talk about it, mm-hmm. your product? I, I think about American Express employees are notorious. They are phenomenal ambassadors for their company. They love their product. They love their company. And you open the door and they will happily talk to you about the American Express card and why it's better than other cards, right? And how their network is faster and their network is cheaper and their network is bigger and blah, 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 right? They, they, you know, that is a perfect example of really, honestly, what every you know, executive really should be looking for because you are going to get, so we talked about this too and how um, in my capacity executive, one of the things I did is I had an ROI for my employees uh-huh. because they're an investment. Sure. You right? And I want to make sure I'm getting the best investment out of that individual, that person. Mm -hmm. Are they enthusiastic? Are they enjoying their job? Am I doing what I need to do to remove the pain points of their job so they can be more effective? How many of us spend an incredible amount of time in our days wasted on something? Think of one client I had, World Flowist Network. Same client. Mm -hmm. They didn't have single sign-on. So every time you went into a new application, you had to sign in again. Oh, man waste all of that every single time you signed in waste just to get onto your laptop you had to put it in your id and password twice swear to god to get into the email you had to put your password and id in again to get into the instant messenger you had to do it again to get onto the internet you had to do it again Hmm. swear to god i'm not exaggerating (sighs) waste 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 yeah, those kind of common sense defying steps are uh, are always baffling. And I like what you said about employees that they that they were ambassadors. And I've always thought that the employees, whether for good or for ill, were the best ambassadors for mm-hmm. a company. So, with that in mind, is there a kind of a snapshot? Is there a kind of a before and after for employees? who transitioned to Agile? Yes, and it's usually pretty dramatic, and I'll tell you why. Companies don't consider going to Agile, especially enterprise, an enterprise Agile solution, unless they're experiencing significant pain. Okay. So is, so, you, you know, we all know this. No one starts a diet until after they've just had a weight increase. Right. Or a right? cholesterol or something like that. My pants don't right. fit. Yeah. But usually, so the before and after pictures, the before is whenever that person feels like they're at their highest weight. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get this dramatic before. We have the same thing in Agile. 
So I'm just being honest with you. Sure. When we take the before snapshot of an organization, they are already experiencing some sort of pain. Okay. Or they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be considering this. So the after, especially for the employees, is pretty dramatic. When you put it because like that, I can everything, imagine, yeah. Right. So they're feeling better about their work. Why? They're producing a higher quality work. They're feeling more secure in their environment. Why? Because they're getting to market faster and they have better customer engagement. So they're getting better feedback from their customers and they're getting more meaningful feedback from their customers. So they're like, hey, we've got a revenue stream here that's going to keep going. So I've got some job security. Mm-hmm. Right? So right. You, you look at the things that we really touch and really transform in Agile. They're all things that really would change that before and after picture of your employees. Or before, they're like, oh, we're in trouble. I don't have job security. I've got my resume out at 18 different places. Yeah. Right? I'm not feeling good about the products we're producing. Every day is such a drudgery because all I want to do is do a simple update to the software thing. And just to get to the UI so I can code, I have to log in six different times. Yeah. Right? Ah! Uh. Yeah, Arg is right. I mean, that'll just... So, so that before picture is, uh, and the after picture is, woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking about um, how am I going to put that on the website? And so... Uh, find a picture for that but it'll be easy um because yeah uh, and there's a lot of pictures of the people just like completely beyond frustration <laughs> that's right ah! that's right yeah that's exactly <laughs> right people who have lost their minds and and all goofing aside you know the log in log out thing that just that just sucks the life out of you well and the thing that would killed me is that was when i asked when i surveyed the Employees. So this is why these engagement surveys are just so phenomenal and awesome. Um, when I did an informal survey, and that was their biggest daily pain point. It drove everyone crazy. So I said, start timing it. How much of your day are you spending doing this? Yeah. And the average person was about 10 minutes a day logging into things. Murder. And so I went back to the executives and I said, well, you know, you know, you have this situation. And they're like, oh, yeah, but that's no big deal. I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. Your blended rate for your employee base is $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. They're spending 10 minutes a day logging in. You have 5,000 employees, blah, blah, blah. This is how much you have just, this is one small thing. That you just said small. It's costing you millions of dollars a year. How do you feel about that? I'll bet suddenly. And they looked at me. Yeah, they were dumbstruck. Yeah. They had never quantified the waste. Mm -hmm. And and I always say, like a small drip of water built the Grand Canyon. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly right. So, so guys, just because it's small doesn't mean it's not expensive. Well, that's right. And extrapolate it out the way you've described it. Um, 
it does seem that, you know, little things do matter. So let's parse this a little bit further down and ask you that if there was any one thing, what's the single biggest thing that happens with Agile that adds the most value and does so sooner rather than later? That is a really hard question. You know, the first thing I think is really getting people, and it happens usually fairly quickly, getting them into a mindset of inspect, adapt, transparency. Mm-hmm. So you think of the, the, we haven't talked about it, I don't think, but the three-legged stool of Agile is inspect, adapt, transparency. So right. we're always reassessing how we're doing, modifying it. You, in, and remember, that's part of the retro at the end of every sprint. Mm-hmm. We inspect and we adapt. Transparency is everything in everything we do in Agile at every level. Scrum team all the way up to the board, right? right. Is transparency, being honest, um, being forthright, and just adopting that mentality changes how people work how they interact with each other, how they think about their work, how they think about their customers. Right. Because, you know, that transparency with your customers and saying, and I was telling, this is so funny, just two days ago I was telling people about when I was a beta tester for Apple Mm -hmm. when I was in college. And they gave us a very rudimentary iPhone. Right. It wasn't, Anywhere it was, they were trying to experiment with cell phones, and they weren't sure what to do. And there were all these features that they wanted to offer. Mm-hmm. And the resounding feedback from us was, "Yeah, we don't care about those. <laughs> this is what we care about, right?" And I, the Apple came back and went, "Oh, okay. Well, then, okay. The next one. Here's what we think you want: mm-hmm. inspect, adapt, transparency." And right. we came. They came back the second one, and we went. Oh yeah, you're not totally there, but you're going in the right direction. Right. Right. That's... And and out of that, they put aside the cell phone for a little while, and then they came back with the iPhone. But the point is, they learned a lot in that process about um, what customers care about, what's important, and and it they weren't agile at the time. Not in, you know, in the way we think of Scrum and all that, but they were totally adopted, inspected, and that transparency and got a huge amount of value out of it. I mean, what, what did they have? Like, they, they have cash just sitting around doing nothing in the billions, right? They're doing pretty damn well with inspect, adapt, and transparency. I I would say so. Um, phenomenally well. Um, now, we also know, though, that we don't live in a perfect world or there's no perfect place to work. There's no perfect work scenario. And I know that for me, I've pitched conference rooms full of people who wanted to cherry pick proposals kind of like they do it on the price or they pick the things that match their individual agendas or they pick the things that they thought were going to help preserve their, their influence inside the organization and frankly, depending on how badly I needed or wanted the job or not, I'd <laughs> go along with this. Has this happened to you in organizations thinking about Agile? They just want to cherry pick different pieces of it. 
Absolutely. And uh, I, this was a conversation I had yesterday. Oh, Harold. Mm. I don't know how you're doing this, <laughs> but um, you're stalking me. But I had a, I had a, I had a, another consultant ask me, um, who was getting into agile consulting and said, well, what, you know, I hear about ROI and IRR and way to charge job first. What is the most common metric mm-hmm. that companies are using for decision making? And I just looked at her and I was very honest and I said, hippo. And she said, what's hippo? And I said, the highest paid person's opinion. Ah. And she just paused and she goes, oh my God, you're right. I'm like, yep. And it's not me saying this. This is decades, going all the way back to Peter Drucker, mm-hmm. of studies that over and over and over again, people are not using, they're not being capitalists in the workplace because capitalists right. are going to use a financial metric for investment decisioning. They're using HIPPO. So the in HIPPO, you know, Part of the examples you gave, right? Mm-hmm. Cherry picking, individual agendas, it's political investment decision making. And, oh, yeah. you know, we're supposed to be talking about ROI. ROI is not a political investment decisioning tool, it is a, an economic tool. Exactly. And, and the, one of the reasons why I stress this so much is that we use economic tools for economic decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because whenever we use non-economic tools for economic decisions, we get a bad decision that costs yes. the company money every single time. So we always have to match our tool to the situation. Um, Agile, and we've talked about this too, and how many times I'll be like, okay, let's use some scrum behavior to solve this one or use XP to solve that problem or use some safe stuff for this or lean for that, right? Because mm-hmm. we're matching the tool to the situation so we get the outcome and the d- desired solution. Um, and that is one of my pet peeves. There's an extraordinary amount of waste built into Western companies because of not using economic tools to make economic decisions and that has nothing to do with agile mm-hmm. even though That's agile true. prescribes the mo- or safe prescribes the most um, effective economic decision tool which is the weighted charge job first mm-hmm. um, that's just been proven to be the most predictive yes um, but most organizations do exactly what you just said and agile can't fix that sorry yeah, that's too bad. And, you know, the politics of the conference room, don't get me started. Um. <laughs> <laughs> In Safe tries really hard. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Safe tries so hard to solve this. And really emphasizing that all agile decisions should have an economic component. Yeah, and just for the record, uh, um, but, I, I'm not stalking Ren as far as she knows. So, um, <laughs> as far as I know. Thanks. That's right. So, <laughs> with the time we have left, um, the sacrifice of potential ROI, does the sacrifice of potential ROI help convince people like the ones that we just talked about to not cherry pick and at least have a single team to get started? Oftentimes, yeah. Um, but 
more often than not, to get a, you know a, an agile team going, it's an emotional decision. Right. Um, and what I find is people make an emotional decision and then use, um, you know, facts and figures, statistics to justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing more executives. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with my generation finally coming into the CEO ranks. Um, slowly <laughs> coming into it, and and the build and boom and bust um, that we've had with tech, what three mm-hmm. times now, um, yeah. is also creating more people who are interested in the science of business, like me, because that's mm-hmm. what I really am. Is I'm a business scientist. Mm-hmm. I just apply different things to the right situation, um, but everything I do is really based on science and what we know to be defined repeatable and true. And we're seeing more of those leaders come up, and so we're seeing a lot more emphasis on using ROI and other economic tools to make economic decisions, Uh, which is why I also think Agile is becoming more and more adopted because it really supports that that model so strongly really has such a strong economic base and scientific base to it that it fits so beautifully into that paradigm. Yeah, that's so well said. And one of the things that is always um, so appealing, at least to me, the combination of just common sense values that Agile brings that they can really help to overcome those you know, silly, petty power struggles inside the conference room or the break room or the lunchroom. So, well, um, we don't need emotion, and so often we have emotions. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that economic tools do is they take, suck the emotion out of the situation. Yes. And it really I'm, does help executives get on the same page. When you see that we're making this based on economic you know, decisions, mm-hmm. and it's not a power struggle, and it's not politics, mm-hmm. it takes the emotion out, you also get a much more cohesive leadership team. As one of my favorite CEOs used to say, um, we don't compete with ourselves, we only compete with our competition. Mm-hmm. When we have hippo going on, um, that creates internal very negative internal competition. Without a doubt. When we can use economic tools to make economic decisions, mm-hmm. then you, you don't have that internal competition. It becomes, okay, this is like we used to have, we've talked about this before in American Express. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Team 50 knew what the top initiatives were for the company. We could all recite them in our sleep. We were mm-hmm. all behind them. We all knew we were all responsible and accountable for them. And yeah. my favorite CEO used to say that was Harvey Gobb. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, he was the one who used to make sure we were very aligned and that we're there to show up and do our best work mm-hmm. for American Express, not for Ben Melberg. Yeah, and, you know, that's... Uh so enlightened that you you wonder why more people don't do it but as you've said Ren um, it you have to take the emotion out of it and right. you know if you just follow the data um, that helps to erase that this has been such a good show um, 
if you want to contact Ren directly and to also follow all of the latest, you want to go to her website, which is www.renmelberg.com. We share that because we have listeners from MP3 platforms that aren't always connected to the website and don't always list it, and we discover new ones all the time. So, renmelberg.com. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and come back next week for another edition of the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.